Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. We're a little bit stiff. Even during the song, I can see you guys haven't really woken up. It's January, and so it's that time of the year. Let's try the getting. Good morning, church. For those who don't know me, my name is Reinhardt or Rankies. I'm the pastor here at Red Door Church, and man, it's good to be back. And I've definitely missed all of this. I don't know if it's unbiblical to say, but I miss the children's song a lot. Like the little discipleship song. It's just a brilliant song. And um, how good it is to be back together, not just as a church, but in person again. What a blessing to be able to gather as God's people. If you're here for the first time, this is a good season or a good series to come to Red Door Church. We're doing a three-week series right at the beginning of the year where we are getting back to the roots of what Red Door Church is all about. And so we get to discuss and we get to preach through our three main distinctives, the thing that we say makes us distinct as a church that we want to be passionate about. And so obviously, we want to be a gospel-centered church that's built on the truths of the Bible. But out of that, out of the truth of the gospel, we want it to be expressed in these three different ways. We want to be a church that is known to be mission-minded. We want to be community-cultivating, and we want to be city-loving. So if you've got questions about those three things, exactly what it means, if you've been part of the kind of environment of Red Door Church, you would have heard the lingo now we're going to dive into the meat or the tofu, if you're vegetarian. <laughs> this morning we're going to chat about what it means to be... Commu- you can see that I haven't preached for a while. I've got some <laughs> pent-up energy that I've got to get out. Uh, this morning we're going to be preaching through what it means to be a community-cultivating church. Um, before we get to that, some interesting things have been happening I don't know who told me, but it's Hendrik Willem's birthday today, so happy birthday, Hendrik Willem. We had some exciting things happening over December. We have some announcements. Um, I don't know how many of you guys know Kerry, but uh, Yanni and Kerry got engaged. Yes. Show the bling. Always good to throw a rock to keep it anchored. So, Hoya Clippy, that's nice. Um, and lots of other announcements that I'm not sure how public it is yet. So I'm, before I get in trouble, I know Seha's got some announcements that she's got to make, but she'll probably divulge that information later at Mission or Community. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. So let me pray. Let me pray, and we'll get into God's Word. Father God, this is so good. This is, this is family. This is community, but it's so much more than that. It's people who are in love with you, who are seeking your will more. And we want more than that. We want your love to transform our hearts. We want your love to compel our hearts to love not just one another, but actually the world around us, going outside of these boundaries. How good it is that we can come to a Sunday and just sit and worship you. That worship happens in song and in word and coffee and serving and setting up chairs and helping with production. And all these things, we are worshiping you. And so, Father, at the beginning of the year, what a great opportunity once again dedicate our hearts, our lives, everything to you. 
And so even now in this service, we pray that your word wouldn't fall in hard ground on our hearts, but rather that our hearts would be softened by just this miraculous news of the gospel. This isn't a familiar gospel. This is something new every time we hear and listen to it. We want to be changed, and not just for our own benefit, but ultimately for your glory, because you deserve it. Amen. Family, um, this is not going to be one of the New Year's preachers or sermons where we talk about what your goals are for the year or your New Year's resolutions, and they're all very good and well. But it's interesting, um, no matter what your New Year's resolution is, I'm sure there's one common denominator amongst all of us. I'm sure all of us this year want to be happy. I'm sure all of us this year want a happy and healthy life, not just for yourself, but for your family as well. That's one thing, no matter what your goal is or your New Year's resolution, that you want it to fall under that, or you want that at least to be the fruit of what you give your life to. You want to be happy. You want to have joy, and you want that joy to actually create health and prosperity within your life. I recently watched the TED Talk video titled The Good Life which obviously is going to give us the answer. And it's a talk given by a psychiatrist, Robert Waldinger, concerning a study done to determine what are the things that enable us as people to live happy and healthy lives. And this study was done by the Harvard Study of Adult Development. So it's no Mickey Mouse study being done. This was a proper study done. And what's very interesting about the study is how long it's been going on and with, on who it was done. It's fascinating. For one, the study was done amongst 724 men, and it started in 1938, and it's still going. And so it's a study running over 75 years already. They found this group of men. One half of them was from a prestigious college, and the other was from a poor neighborhood in Brooklyn. And they were tracking these men since they've been teenagers until now. The study is still running. There's about six of them left that's still alive in their 90s. And every year they've been sending out surveys and questionnaires and following and interviews trying to determine what is the common denominator between these different men from different life stages and different worlds. What makes us happy and healthy? And spoiler alert, it turns out it's not success and it's not fame and it's not money that gives us real happiness. The people who experience the most joy, even in seasons of pain, even in seasons of lacking, are the people um, with meaningful and healthy relationships and that live in community with one another. It's people that not just experience the most joy, but interestingly enough, it's the people whose mental capacity has lasted the longest Health-wise, they were doing the, the best, and even in times when they were experiencing pain, they were able to cope with pain better because of these healthy relationships. We are most happy when we live in community. And most of us would know and nod to this fact, and we see it everywhere around us. In every sphere of life, people are drawn to community, whether it's a CrossFit community or a drama club. In some way, shape, or form, we all drift towards people that we find familiarity with and we want to be in community and in relationship with them. Deep down, we know that we were created this way, to live in community with one another. The problem is, like with most things, is that we can often twist something which is good into something that is hurtful. Our communities become 
insular and self-serving, protecting only themselves, excluding others and trying to take away the rights of other groups so that you might have more rights yourself. And it's unfortunately in this environment where we're in community and only looking after ourselves and sinful desires and selfish desires that we become xenophobic. It's those times when we become racist. It's even those times where we become classist. That is, we don't interact with people that are not of the same social class as me. We build our walls up figuratively but also physically to keep other people out and keep only those who we want to mingle with in. And we see this even in churches. We see how churches become insular and clicky, making sure that I only hang out with the people that are part of this church. If you don't act, dress, or talk the way that we do, you're going to feel left out. This isn't the place for you. We do have a need for relationship in our lives, but somehow we always perverse it in some way to hurt other people. And so even though I agree with the psychiatrist Waldinger, and even though I agree with the findings and that he urges his listeners to he urges his listeners to rather foster good relationships than merely going after superficial things like experiences and money, the question is how can we enjoy this happiness and joy of community without it poisoning the way that with how we interact with the people around us and the world around us? How can we be a community that cultivates, that creates more community that invites other people in rather than becoming a barrier for other people there to be part of this. That's what this morning is about. That's what one of the core values of Red Door Church is to be a community that does exactly that. And so I want us to notice two things this morning. It's different than my other sermons. I'm already giving you the answer right in the beginning. I want us to see that the only way for us to have healthy relationships with one another and to be a healthy community is to have a reconciled relationship with God the Father. And the second thing flowing out of this truth is to see how this restored relationship with God enables us to live as a thriving and healthy community. So let's dig in. Our text this morning is from Galatians 3, and Paul is writing to a mixed race, mixed culture audience. And he's explaining to them what the truth of the gospel means for them and how it plays out practically in their everyday lives, in their society, and specifically in their faith community. And so the culture of the time that Paul is writing is, is one of honor and shame, meaning that the people you hung out with, that you were in community with, kind of determined your place in the social hierarchy. Everyone had something or someone that was their claim to fame, and you had to hold on to that. They tried to hold on to or give some significance for themselves in their culture. So the Jews were holding on to the religious law that was their claim to fame. The Greeks had civil rights and citizenship rights, and so they were very much standing on that. Free men had opportunity. Women had less so, and slaves were at the bottom of the spectrum. However, we see this new teaching of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins challenged everything in their society. Your status was no longer determined by what you did or didn't do, whether you were born male or female, or in what family you were born into. No, suddenly Paul preaches this message that there's this external force working in, giving you your identity, an external force at work. Read with me from verse 24. 
So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now this is an astonishing statement that Paul is making. Through faith in Christ, we are now justified, meaning that we are in right standing with God. We are in a good relationship with God. And in Christ Jesus, we are now sons of God through faith. There's a lot in this sentence that we could actually unpack. And we need more time for that. But the really important thing to note is that through faith, all Christians are now referred to as sons of God. And he's not being sexist. There's something very real going on here. There's some very real practical implications for us in this text. The first thing is that if we are sons of God, it means that we have free access to the Father. There's no club that we need to join. There's no social hierarchy to climb. There's no lineage necessary. We can come to the Father just as we are right now. We are part of the family. Secondly, the term used here, sons of God, is a legal term, actually referring to the rights that the firstborn had in that culture. You see, the firstborn son was the one that had access to all the family rights, as well as the right to the bulk of the inheritance. And so that term, son of God, firstborn, is now being applied to those who are in Christ Jesus. We are considered first tier family members. If that is true, and if we really do believe that fact, what that should do for Christians is instill a type of confidence in who we are and what your identity is. Not pride, but definitely just walking around with this humble confidence, knowing that you are part of the family, knowing that there's a type of dare I say it, financial security because you know your dad's business will never go out of business. Knowing that you are free to live life and make decisions and go forward because your future is secured in God. He loves you. He will care for you. Sometimes people can mistake this for pride. And even Christians mistake this for pride, thinking that we're somehow better than other people around us. But rather, what this confidence should do, what this identity should do, it should give you rest for your soul. The fact that you don't need to prove something to the people around you, or even to yourself. Trying to earn acceptance, knowing that you're actually looked after. And even more than that, your identity is secured in God. Ultimately, what this does, it frees you from trying to earn acceptance from the people around you and from the culture around you, even from the community itself. When we try to find acceptance and validation within our small communities, it's at that times when it becomes dangerous and insular because we then want to protect that community at all costs because it's the community then that gives you your identity rather than something else. I mean, let's say that a club opens up in Pretoria. It's the coolest, hippest, most exclusive club. Your name is on the list. Obviously, Temba's name is on the list. Um, you get to the club at night and there's this long line of people trying to get, on the, get into the club. And what's fun for you, you simply walk to the front. You unclip the curtain railing and let you in. 
you would feel like such a boss. I mean, you're just the ultimate VIP in that moment. The last thing that you would want in that moment would be as soon as you get inside, for them to open it to anyone on the street. <laughs> Why? Because you would lose your VIP status. If it's open for everyone, you're not actually a VIP. However, the situation would be totally different if you actually really believe that you are a VIP. That you knew it, that you believed it, that you didn't need the circumstance or other people to actually let them know that you're a VIP. And so you could rest assured, let everyone come in. You don't have to prove to anyone that you are an important person. It would dramatically change the way we interacted with the people around us. This is who we are in Christ. And if this is true, if that is our identity, sons of God, accepted, freed, what's interesting is then to see how this changes the way that we interact with the world around us. So read with me from verse 27. Paul then says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, Neither slave nor free, there's no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This restored relationship with our Father dramatically influences the relationship that we have with one another. In Christ, we are part of the same family. All distinctions and classifications have been removed. Yes, we are still have our identity and you have your race and you have your culture, but there's no difference in the hierarchy. No classification of classism that is happening. In Christ, there's no Jew, no Greek, no male or female, slave or free. We all have the same rights and we have the same access to God the Father because of the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel message that Jesus has come and paid for our sins, forgiven us for our treachery, and now reconciled us with God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. We are heirs to the promise of Abraham, that glorious promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis 12, where God said, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people, I'm going to bless you, and through this nation, all the nations on earth will be blessed. And so even though this study is interesting and we read the findings that true happiness comes from meaningful relationships. We realize as Christians that it starts with having a meaningful relationship with God the Father. Being in a church community is great. We love and we care for one another, but it's nothing if we're not in a restored relationship with the Father. According to this text, living in community with God leads to living in community with one another. Or differently put, our vertical relationship with God determines our horizontal relationship with one another. And here's why. Even though we crave and we need community, even though we are created to live in community with one another, with one another because of sin and selfishness, it just makes it difficult. Ask any married couple. Even though you love one another, sin creates tension and friction and conflict because I'm more interested in how I'm satisfied in my needs. And so you need to work at that relationship. There's definitely good advice in the world and good tips that we can take from the world and from research and from counseling, good communication, love one another, 
Serve one another, be considerate, and those things are good, but it's never enough to sustain a relationship. What we need is to address the root problem. Selfishness that comes out of a sinful heart. And the only way, the only antidote for that sinful heart, those selfish desires, is the love of Christ. And family, I'm not talking about an abstract, lovey-dovey idea of what the love of Christ means. I'm talking about a very tangible way that we should be experiencing this love of Christ and giving it to one another. This is what we constantly refer to when we say, preach the gospel to your heart. The gospel that you are accepted, that you have identity, that you are a son of God. The same truth that we spoke about before, these are the same truths that we need to remind ourselves daily. These are the same truths that will be true for all eternity. That through faith in Christ, we are accepted, heirs with Christ. And so the more you love Christ and you spend time with him, the more you start to believe this truth. We know this truth cognitively, but we don't always believe it in different situations. But the more we believe that this is who we are, that this is what God wants for us, the more it softens our hearts. It creates humility and grace and patience with one another. Most of the unresolved conflict that I've come across in church is because people are unwilling to give grace to one another, unwilling to let go of pride because they feel offended, impatient, and not giving one another the benefit of the doubt. I'm sure many of us here today come from a church background where we got hurt in the church. We've heard that a lot. We probably know a lot of our friends that have walked away from the faith ultimately because they got hurt within the church. We felt like we weren't listened to. We were silenced. We were dismissed. We, we felt judged or labeled. And a lot of us now are wary of coming back into a faith community. Many of us might still be experiencing that here today. You might be here today hoping that you finally found the right church, the people where everyone is just nice and good to you. No one will hurt you here. Everyone's good. I've got bad news for you. This is unfortunately not it. We are still sinful people, prone to doing and saying things that will hurt one another. In a sense, we're all still recovering addicts. Addicted to the previous way of defining ourselves and living comfortably. Even though I think no one is born racist, we definitely grow up in environments that just creates the perfect breeding ground to being racist. Only going after that which is familiar and yours and everything else that is strange and different we try to go away from. This creates fertile ground, not just to be racist, but to be xenophobic, to look down at people that are not the same as us, or distance ourselves from people that are probably doing better than us. We gravitate to something that is familiar in our culture, in our language, in our race. I think people too quickly want to classify themselves as non-racist. Um, what happens when we do this, it doesn't even give the option or the possibility that you have some blind spots when it comes to other races and cultures. This is something that I actively want to guard against in my own life. And so I rather take the view that I myself am a recovering racist. People are afraid to admit that because then they would think that's their identity. 
But family, if we are Christians, we can admit that we are recovering addicts because of the grace of God. That's not my identity. That's not who I am. I am a son freely accepted and loved by God. A sinner saved by grace, even though I fall hopelessly short. We are all recovering racists, all recovering xenophobes. It is unnatural to move outside of your normal social boundaries to include and love the people different from you. However, what we want to be different in this community, what we want to be true of Red Door Church is that we are a community that continually moves closer to Christ, continually holds onto the love of Christ, allowing that love to create a loving community around us. Allowing that to be a community when we offend and when we hurt one another to create a space where we can give grace and forgiveness. To know that we're not perfect, but to accept that because God has accepted us. To be such a community, we need soft hearts. Think about gardening. I don't know how many of you have been doing some gardening lately, but uh, in the east of Pretoria, It typically has a lot of clay in the ground. And so when you want to create a garden bed, you need to work the ground. Clay, when left unworked, becomes very hard and impenetrable. And so even with all the rain we've had, if you haven't worked the ground, what typically happens is it rains and it just runs over the hard ground and all the rain washes away. The gospel and the love of Jesus is the pitchfork that prepares and cultivates our hearts to be a loving community. When you struggle to love and give grace to a person, the primary problem at that stage is not the other person, even though they might have hurt you, even though there might be a conflict situation, the place to start we want to restore any relationship is first with your own understanding of the gospel. Go to the source. Go to Christ. Let the love of Christ first soften your heart to cultivate your heart so that you will be able to give grace and patience and love where necessary. At Red Door, we want to do this specifically in three different environments that we want to create where we can constantly give this to one another. We want to have Sunday worship. We believe that Sitting under God's word is the primary place where our hearts get cultivated. We want to worship and serve together. But more than that, we want to have our missional communities where we live on mission together, where we specifically want to target people who aren't part of the church and invite them in. And then thirdly, we want to create even smaller groups called DNA groups where we mature in discipleship with one another. And so if you've been attending church for a while, but you haven't been plugged into these discipleship environments, I want to urge you that the time is now. Draw closer to family. Simply attending a Sunday service is not the same as being part of the family. And ultimately, the reason is you're missing out. You're missing out on so much that God wants to give you. Through the gospel, we have community with God the Father, the Son, and His Spirit. That relationship cultivates our hearts so that we can have a healthy and thriving relationship with one another, but it doesn't stop there. Most social clubs are only concerned with caring for its members. The love of Christ compels
compels us to look outside of the church and outside of our walls. Since we've been changed by grace, we don't regard people around us according to the flesh. We don't hold to the social, culturally, and racial divisions that other people do. We go beyond this to befriend and love the people out there, our neighbors, our colleagues, our family members, our friends that we're starting to meet. We go beyond this to achieve a greater community for which we have been destined from the beginning. And trust me, family, this will be weird for the rest of your friends and family. Their security and validation, familiarity lies within certain boundaries. When we move beyond those boundaries as a church, it won't only seem strange to them getting the looks, getting the questions, but why do you hang out with those people? It will also frighten others. Frighten them because they don't know any better. And so be prepared, not only for the questions and the weird looks as we build this community, as you spend time with people that others normally won't, whether they within or below or beyond your social class, but be prepared for some backlash as people are not prepared to do the same. Because what happens as we share this community, as we love Christ, he uses this as a, a magnificent testimony of his love. And it will shine the light of the gospel. For some, it will be a marvelous light that they want to be drawn to. And for others, the light will shine on their insecurities and they would want to smother it. In the end, though, we also do believe that the fruits of a community like this will be a testimony within itself. Not because of the pastor, not the leaders, not Red Door Church, but of the love of Christ. Then we will reap the joy of having full, joyful, happy lives. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your love. It is 1 John 4, 19 that says, we love because you loved us first. Father, this is true in any relationship, that we look to you, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, to sustain us with your love. And even as we taste that love, it frees us, of, us up to love recklessly those around us. And so we pray here at Red Door Church that we would be a community that doesn't stay insular, only focused on our own needs and what we want, and we want, we want the expression of church to be like, but rather as we taste the love of Christ, we would be compelled to move outside of these boundaries, that we would invite others in, that we would be a safe haven for those who call themselves sinners, for those who aren't accepted in other circles, for those who are weary and burdened for those who are lost for those who are hopeless for those seeking truth father help us to have this humble confidence about us not looking down but fully knowing who we are we don't have to prove something but because of that we can serve with humility like christ washing the feet of his disciples knowing that he is the son of god willingly giving that up. Father, cultivate in our hearts that love, cultivate, cultivate that community, and may we be a community that cultivates more love for others. We pray all of this in your glorious name, Jesus Christ. Amen.